G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. How can I then change course? How can I reset? Let's look at his example. Paul realized what he was doing was not working. He was drifting. There was no peace in his life. He wasn't accomplishing the goal, so he changed gears and he decided to head in a different direction. Now, he gives us a roadmap how to reset our lives. It's beautiful. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, my name is Bill, and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. This week, we're revisiting some older messages from Pastor Jeff from his series called Reset. It's all about resetting our life and resetting our connection with God. It may be an older message, but it's still relevant today. We start the series with a look at the Apostle Paul and why he wanted to make change and live with risk as a true follower of Christ. Let's begin with Pastor Jeff. You know, the first model airplane that I received for a birthday present, uh, I tried to put it together and I'm not very gifted at doing this. My son Delaney can put anything together and take it apart again, but God did not gift me in such a manner. And so I had this thing on the table. Uh, The glue was coming apart. All the pieces were in the wrong places. The decals were crooked. And my father walked along while I was trying to do this. And he said, son, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm trying to put this model airplane together that I got for my birthday. He said, well, son, it looks more like a helicopter. And I said, well, help me. What am I to do? He said, you're in such disarray. The best thing you can do is just wipe the slate clean and begin again. Start all over because you cannot get there from where you are right now. We know the definition of insanity to be doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Probably the most known definition of any word, but the least practice because we seem intent on doing exactly what we know we shouldn't. The best thing that we can do during this season is to take a look at the way we've been living our lives and make the changes that we need to make to start over. And if you're honest with yourself, your life to a great degree is in disarray. The pieces aren't where they ought to be. It looks totally different from what you really want to achieve with your life. Most of us spend our days rushing around from here to there, from here to there. Then we fall in bed at night, totally exhausted, having accomplished little or nothing. So what is the answer to that? And part of the reason we fall into bed exhausted is because we've allowed the world system, the order that you and I live, to dictate the manner in which we live our lives. But think about it just for a moment. Under whose influence does the Bible tell us this world order or pattern exists. The Bible tells us in 1 John five nineteen that we know we are the children of God, but the whole world lies under the control or the sway of the evil one. What does that mean? It means this order, the way we are ordering our lives 
It's dictated to us. We are following a flow that leads not to life, but leads to frustration. In fact, Jesus told the disciples in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So if you want to live again, this is a perfect opportunity to step out of the rhythm and the flow that you've been in for so long that's indicative of the world system that is governed, that is ruled by one that is trying to destroy you. So make sure that you don't miss the opportunity to make some changes, to get out of these rhythms and to start living your life in a way that is extraordinary. A good example of what I'm trying to communicate here is that Uh, A few years ago, my family, including my mother and father-in-law, went to Massanutten, Virginia. We were going to go there on a vacation holiday. We got to walk through the home of Thomas Jefferson, and uh, we got to go tubing down the Shenandoah River. Now, we were looking forward to this event. We had Delaney and Sion with us as well. And so we get in these tubes, and we're going to flow down this river the, the, the unfortunate reality was, though, that there had been a lack of rain during the rainy season. So there was only about a foot of water in this river, and it wasn't really free-flowing. When we got in the tubes, the tubes themselves almost scraped the bottom of the river. We were told that at the end of this journey, that there would be a beautiful waterfall that we could slide down a little bit of white water rafting. But Sion and I, which were in the sa- who were in the same tube learned very quickly that if you didn't stroke your arms, you would just sit still and drift over to the side of the river. And somehow, since there had been no rain, all the animal dung had been collected at the sides of the river. So if you don't flap your arms and try to paddle down the stream, you would automatically drift into this manure, this dung, and it was a horrible, atrocious experience. And most people were having that exact experience. Sion and I decided we weren't going to have any of that, so we just started paddling our arms as fast as we could. We got down, and after about two hours of rigorous physical activity, we experienced about 30 seconds of whitewater rafting. What is the point of the story? The point is, if you want to get somewhere, you're going to have to give some effort. You won't just evolve or drift in to a desired goal or objective. And if your goal and objective is to live an extraordinary life, to get out of this rut that you've been in, to make changes in your life so that you can actually feel that something good is happening. You're going to have to, you're going to have to make effort. You won't drift into it. A few months ago, a young lady in tears came to me and said, this is not working, Pastor Jeff. I said, what is not working? She said, life. I'm not accomplishing anything. I'm not improving in any areas of my life that really matter to me. I'm overcome by the tyranny of the urgent. That's a a phrase that was coined by Dawson Trotman of the Navigator. So I I knew immediately she was well-read. She said, but my life is just spinning around. I'm not a better mother. I'm not a better wife. My career's going nowhere. And worst of all, there's really no progress in my spiritual life, in my walk with Jesus. My knowledge of scripture, my knowledge of God, my spiritual growth is experiencing an incredible stagnation. I find that I'm gossiping, that I'm angry, that I am self-centered, that peace and joy are only peripheral. I just have small, short moments, but overarching, overwhelming in my life is this sense of frustration and discontent. Now, we're in a new series. It's called Reset. And I'm going to introduce you to some people 
who came to a crossroads in their lives and they said, you know what? I can't keep living the way that I'm living. This frustration, this discontent, this going everywhere here and there and accomplishing nothing, especially not the ultimate goal of my life. And they had an experience with God and they made changes. And these changes are gold to us because in reading the narrative or the story in Scripture, we can glean these principles that we can put into our lives that then will change us from mediocrity to extraordinary living. So when I think about all the characters and narratives we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, I'll get excited and I just want to skip ahead. But let's pause and begin with perhaps the most influential person of the first 300 years of Greco-Roman history, the Apostle Paul, a Roman citizen, a Hebrew by birth, educated in a Greek city. And in Philippians 3, he comes to his own crossroads. He realizes, here's my goal. This is where I want to get to. Here's where I am. But the things I'm doing, they're not working. They're not going to achieve the goal. I'm in the middle of insanity. I'm doing the same thing over and over, thinking I'll get a different result. It's not working. Now, the Apostle Paul's goal was to reach God. He had a tremendous passion an overwhelming passion to meet and to know God and to be accepted before God. Unfortunately, the path he had chosen was one of religion. He truly believed if he could just be good, if he could keep all the righteous ritual laws, that somehow that would qualify him for acceptance and appreciation and significance before the God of the universe. But then he comes to the end of himself and he says, you know, it's not working because I can never be good enough. There's never enough righteous credentials to put me in good standing with God. In Philippians 3, the text we're going to be concentrating on, he actually lists his credentials. He says in verse 5 of chapter 3 of Philippians, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Man, I did what all good Jewish boys do. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the people of God, his chosen ones. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, when the Israelites would go out to war, the Benjamites would lead them. And everyone would say, after thee, O Benjamin. So the apostle Paul said, I even led us out in conquest. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, which meant that even though we've been dispersed, I've always kept the culture and language of the Hebrew people. He says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, I am super good. I have reams and reams of paper describing the kind of religious activities I should do, and I do them all. He said, I am so zealous for God that I persecuted the church. When someone came along and told me that what I was doing was wrong and presented the antithesis of what I believed to be right as far as our approach to God, he said, I decided to persecute them, to close their mouths, to silence them. And then he said, as far as righteousness is based on the law, I am faultless. So he comes to the conclusion that I've got all these uh, recommendations or all of these things, all these attributes rather, that are part of my life. And yet I'm doing all these things and being all these things and it's not working. I'm not good enough. The standard is too high. And the more I get or to know God, the more I realize I need something else. I need something outside of myself. In fact, he says in Romans chapter 7, I don't even keep the moral law that I know and agree that is good. My passion, he says, to do the right thing has very little to do with other desires that stir within my heart and being. And in Romans chapter 7 verse 18, he says, for I have a desire to do what is good. I cannot carry it out though. 
For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Paul says, I, I've got to try something else. I've got to push the reset button. This is not working. I have to start over. I cannot get there from here. Now, let me just pause for a second. Paul is an older man, and that's why I find it amazing that he's willing to reset his life. The older you get, the less willing you are to take risks, even if, those, if the current pattern of living is destructive or disintegrating. There's a saying that says, better the devil I know than the devil I don't know. My life is tough, but I don't want it to get tougher. At least I know how to deal with this toughness. At least that's what we convince ourselves. So the other day, I rode my bike all the way from Upland, where I live, to our campus at San Dimas. And I was pretty pleased with myself when I learned it was about 15 or 16 miles. And I had done it in around an hour, an hour and five minutes. And I thought, wow, I'm not as out of shape as I thought I was. And then a couple of days later, I decided, well, since my bike is here at the office, I'll just tell my wife that I'll ride it home. No need to come and collect me. I'll ride my bike. And I rode my bike from the San Dimas campus all the way back to Upland. And I realized about halfway in the journey that from Upland to the San Dimas campus, it's all downhill. And from the San Dimas campus to Upland, it's all uphill. Folks, I got to tell you, it took me about two hours and 10 minutes to make that journey. And it took me about three or four days to recover from it. You notice as you get older, things don't work the way that they used to. And you're afraid to take risks for fear you might do some harm to yourself. But if that's the way you're going to live, and if you think that you can live the same way and overcome the frustration and the disappointment, it will never change. That's why I love one of my favorite quotes comes from Eileen Gruder. And she says, you can live on bland food so as to avoid an ulcer, drink no tea, coffee, or other stimulants, go to bed early, stay away from nightlife, avoid all controversial subjects so as to never give an offense, mind your own business, avoid involvement in other people's problems, Spend money only on necessities and save all you can. And she finishes by saying, and you can still break your neck in the bathtub and it'll serve you right. How true is that? How true? Yeah, you can play it safe, but you'll just have a life of mediocrity. And something still in the end will get you and you would have lived your life achieving no great thing. The apostle Paul says, I've got to reset my life. I've got to start again, and it's going to require some risk because what I really need is a savior. I need somebody to rescue me. And in Romans chapter 7, he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? And he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The apostle Paul pushed the reset button and realized that there was someone who would save him from the law. The law is good, but it can never save you. It only tells you that your face is dirty. It can't clean you up. He needs outside help, an outside agent. And then in Romans 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. He's saying there is a way to reach God, and it's not through efforts, not through religion. It's through the receiving, the acceptance of what Jesus the Son of God, the gift He offers you is He takes your sins on the cross, past, present, future, forgives you, and gives you the right to come in to the presence of God. Now, we can talk a lot more about that, but let's look at His example. Paul realized what he was doing was not working. He was drifting. There was no peace in his life. He wasn't accomplishing the goal, so he changed gears, and he decided to head in a different direction. Now, 
as the greatest influencer of the first three centuries, as the Apostle Paul opens the window of his life and lets us look in, we notice he gives us a roadmap how to reset our lives. That's what this series is about. And we began by understanding that we are called to live an extraordinary, not a mediocre life, that we're supposed to live a life of deep satisfaction, not frustration. And so here's what we're going to do quickly in the time we have left. We're going to look at that roadmap. We're going to ask three questions, give three answers that leads to three or lead to three agents of change. So how can I then change course? How can I reset and reset in a way that's going to lead to an extraordinary life, to a sense of peace and satisfaction and joy? It's beautiful. First question what is the goal toward which you are working? You look at your life and you think, well, I'm here. I want to be there, but I'm not getting there. Well, the first question is, where's the there that you're trying to get to? What are you chasing? Not what you think it should be. Be honest. What is truly the objective of your life? What are you pursuing? What are you after? Now, again, what I'm going to give you may sound super spiritual, but I promise you this is about the most practical message that I've ever delivered. Please listen. What is the goal of your life? What are you after? Most of us want a good marriage, a successful workplace, financial security, peace, joy, a stable family, good friends, good times with those friends, accomplishments, health and vitality. Those are the things we want. But folks, those are actually byproducts of a greater achievement. There is a greater goal when achieved, these things then become present realities. Unfortunately, what most of us end up doing is chasing the byproducts instead of the core reality that produces them. I often tell the story of playing Monopoly with my grandmother. She was ruthless. I won't tell you the complete story, but uh, she would invite me over to her house on the weekends. I was probably in my young teens, and she would thrash me in the game of Monopoly. She was very good at it. It was only a matter of time before she owned everything, including the bank. And I got tired of losing. So years go by through high school. Then I go off to Bible college and seminary, and I learn while I'm at Bible college, while I'm at Johnson University, I had a roommate who was very good at Monopoly, and I learned how to play. And I couldn't wait to get back to my grandmother's house to just destroy her in one game of Monopoly. And I did. I came over. I said, hey, I'm back from college. Just wanted to visit. How about a game of Monopoly? And we played. And I beat my grandmother so badly. I mean, I owned it all. And I was laughing the whole way through. I owned all the little red houses and the greenhouses. I owned the bank. I had all the money. She asked for grace. I gave her none. And I just celebrated at the end of the game as I had defeated grandma. No mercy. And quickly she took the board, folded it up, and she put it back in the box. And she said, oh, well, everything just goes back into the box. The cars, the houses, the money, everything. I've never forgotten that. I wanted to take that Monopoly board and put it on the wall as a memorial to my victory. That every time I walked in her house, she would be reminded that there was a time and place where young Jeffrey, her grandson, destroyed her in a game of Monopoly. The problem is that game, while it's just a game, is perhaps one of the best metaphors of life. See, if you're after everything and you're pursuing all these things, the houses, the cars, the money, 
It all goes back in the box. And if that's what you're pursuing, if you go after that, the Bible tells us in Matthew 16, for what profit is it a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Now, if you look at that, there's another option. What is implied in the text? If you gain the world, lose your soul. But if you gain your soul, there's a possibility you could gain the world, which means the soul then should be your ultimate pursuit. Now, stay with me just a moment. We're taking some pieces and putting them into the game here, and it'll all come out in the end, but please stay with me. I dug deep into my archives for this illustration. I've used it a few times. It's a classic. It's an ancient from Myra Brooks Welch. Here's how it goes. It's a classic poem, but listen carefully to the words. She says, "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin." but he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good people, he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar, do I hear two? Two dollars, who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no, far from the back of the room, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust off that old violin, and tightening up its strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angels sing. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what now am I bid for this old violin? And he held it up with the bow. One thousand, one thousand do I hear two, two thousand, who makes it three, three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried. We just don't understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going, he's almost gone. But the master comes And the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. What is the point? The point is a job is just a job. A career is just a career. A marriage is just a marriage. A family, a family, a pursuit, just a pursuit. A violin is just a violin until God picks it up and the touch of the master's hand. Do you see where this is going? C.S. Lewis said it's like this, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in, aim at earth and you get neither. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. So when you push the reset button, the first thing you have to do, don't you think it would be better to step out of the flow that is governed by the prince of the power of the air? Go against the grain, go upstream. Don't do the same thing everybody else is doing or you're going to get the same thing everybody else is getting. So then the very first question, what is the goal of your life? There's only one answer that will be effective, and it's Jesus. When you get Jesus, you get everything else thrown in. C.S. Lewis had an incredibly sharp intellect. He was an atheist and turned and gave his heart over to Jesus. And in one of his works describing his conversion, he says, you must picture me alone in that room, not after night, wanting that burden in my mind to be lifted even for a second. The steady, unrelenting approach of he whom I earnestly desired not to meet. That which I had greatly feared 
had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, he says, I finally came in and admitted that God was God and I knelt and I prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. That was the last line in the last paragraph on which he records his conversion moment. And then the first line of the next page and next chapter reads this. I thought I was coming to a place. I found out I had come to a person. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Make a decision now. You've had the wrong goal. And that's why you're frustrated. And that's why you're falling into bed at night, weary, tired, and accomplishing nothing. Change the goal. Aim for heaven and get earth thrown in. Push the reset button to know Christ, to come close to God. Because as I achieve that goal, everything else will be added unto me. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.